Hi, I'm Kylie Squires and welcome to the first edition of Animals Are Calling, a brand new podcast from World Animal Protection. Each week I'll be joined by a panel of experts as we discuss the biggest issues affecting animals right now and how they affect people and the planet too. To launch the podcast, I am joined by World Animal Protection CEO Steve McIver to discuss the pressing issue of our time, animal welfare. Our growing population, urbanisation and increasing wealth are driving demand in systems that commodify and exploit animals. If left unchecked, this worldwide problem will only continue to grow. However, over the next 10 years, we can combat climate change, protect the world's richest wildlife habitats and end the vast scale of animal suffering before we reach the point of no return. Thank you so much for joining me on Animals Are Calling. It's honestly a pleasure to have you here. Let's start by talking about animal welfare. Basically, I would like to know, in your opinion, what does that mean? Because it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but I think it just needs a definition. Yeah, you know, I always start um, looking at animals through the eyes of animals rather than taking a human-centric view. So very often as, as human beings, we just look at everything else in the world and go, what does it mean to us? What value does it have um, to us? Whereas I think the question should be the other way around. You know, um, you know what matters to an animal? What experiences uh, do they have? Um, and um, I guess we, if we look at it from an animal's point of view, we talk about it as sentience. Um, and sentience is, so is an animal or is anything sentient? Um, human beings supposedly are. I'm not so sure that all of us um, quite have that capacity given some of the decisions we make around our planet. But sentience is the capacity to experience feelings, um, you know, neg- and have negative or, or, or positive, you know, emotions, if you like. If you think about that in terms of, cats and dogs you know the animals that we you know spend our lives with um i don't think there's anyone that um has that sort of relationship that doesn't recognize individual animals with individual personalities and likes and dislikes but somehow we forget about that when it comes to other animals like farm animals but let me let me just tell you this you know if you um were to take a group of cows and you were to put them in a field, one of the things you'll find is that cows go off into groups. They've got friends and they've got enemies. There's the cow that they want to be with and the cows they definitely don't want to hang out with. When you put them in an industrial system, they're not able to um, avoid enemies and they're very often separated from friends. So animal welfare is about is about recognising that they are sentient, they have the capacity to experience um, uh, and, and feel, and um, therefore we should respect that in the way that we look after them, we keep them, we support them, we provide space and uh, and care for them as individuals. That's actually a really good point because I think often when people think of animal welfare, they think of just not killing them or putting them in a big space but actually it means way more than that what does that big space mean for them that means they can act naturally and like say act as the personalities they are as animals so I think that's a really really good point so I, I guess that ties in to why you think it's important that people pay attention to the topic of animal welfare right now yeah it is absolutely um 
you know, I, I think if we just step back from ourselves for a moment and think about um, the relationship we have with animals, um, we think about them as individuals instead of as units, as commodities. Um, and we realize that, you know, what the world might look like and feel like if they, if they weren't with us, if they weren't part of uh, the world around us, I think then we might, uh, you know, we might pay more attention to their needs. It is important um, that we uh, respect animals and um, think of them as more than, um, yeah, production line units. But it's also important that we um, think about what it says about people and society, uh, the way that we treat animals. And I, I've always got a quote that I always go back to, which is from Mahatma Gandhi. It's a very well-known um, quote from him that when he said that the greatness of a, a nation and its moral progress can actually be judged by the way it treats its animals um, you have to pause and think about that for a moment and the time it was spoken by Gandhi and of course what he meant was that if we treat animals well um, if we respect them um, if we bring them into our circle of compassion then we will already be treating all people um, in the way that we should. You spoke as well about um, our relationship with animals, which I think is really interesting. What I didn't realise is actually how the mistreatment of animals can affect the health of humans. Um, and that's obviously come up since the recent global pandemic with COVID-19. Um, could you um, explain a little bit more about why that happens? Absolutely, yes. In fact, at the primary risk of um, a pandemic um, such as COVID um, comes from animals. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It comes from animals. And the vast majority of risks come from wild animals and industrially farmed animals. But if you just look at uh, wild animals for a moment, there was a study done um, fairly recently to look at, um, at the sorts of viruses it, um, that human beings can contract that have the potential to become therefore pandemics um, that are contained um, or carried by wild animals. And they looked at the most commonly traded um, wildlife, uh, and I'm talking about mammals, and they found that something like 80 to 86% of those potentially harmful viruses were carried by those um, uh, uh, most traded uh, wild animals. So it's no surprise then that something like COVID uh, has happened because uh, bats, pangolins, uh, those sorts of um, animals are known to be reservoirs for diseases that can cross over from um, uh, wild species into humans. At the moment, World Animal Protection are talking about a 10-year strategy looking forward. And I was reading about systems change. It'd be great for you to clarify what systems change actually means and why World Animal Protection are focusing on that. 
if we really want to take action, if we really want to make a difference, then there has to be a, a fundamental shift in the way that we uh, campaign, in the way that we um, bring change in our world. And we're seeing that, you know, right now we're seeing it on the climate change agenda. You see organizations like um, Greenpeace, but more recently, um, people like Extinction Rebellion, um, who are taking very direct action to uh, draw attention to what's going on in the world and the fact that governments and business are not doing enough and they're not doing it quickly enough to stop the climate crisis. The same applies when it comes to animals and animal welfare. Um, for a long time, there's been really very little progress and we, we now need to take urgent action to bring about radical change. Let's just look, for instance, at, at wildlife. If you look at um, the last 50 years um, and the numbers of uh, wild um, species of animals that existed on the planet 50 years ago, and then you look at today, on average, there are two, two thirds of those species have, have disappeared. So over 50 years, we have wiped out huge numbers Let's just look ahead. Uh, if you look at the next few years, the prediction is that one million out of eight million species um, that exist today will not exist uh, in the coming decades. So the work that we've been doing in the past to try to improve uh, welfare of animals, but keep the same systems is failing. Um, you know, we've tried to you know, protect species by creating things like CITES, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, to say, yes, you can trade these, but you can't trade those. We've tried to improve the conditions in factory farms by getting rid of perhaps battery cages um, for laying hens. But we've still kept them in industrial farms indoors in poor conditions. So we can see that incremental change doesn't work we have to actually get to the root causes the things that are driving extinction of species the things that are driving um, widespread uh, industrial scale literally suffering of animals in in factory farms um, and it's getting at those root causes those drivers um, of, uh, of of suffering at scale uh, that's that that's when you're starting to tackle system change absolutely i think actually that that really excites me because um you see it a lot with the climate crisis now that you know there's been the move towards getting rid of plastic bags there's been the move of getting rid of straws which is all well mm. and good um but it puts a lot of onus on the general public that are trying to make a difference so as we'll discuss later, there are a lot of small things that we can do in our everyday lives. However, there are bigger industries that you're looking at that need to be held accountable. Yes, and, and particularly those that have the, the largest impact on animals. So you know, we've chosen for our strategy you know, going forward, we're, we're focused on you know, two areas in particular. One is industrial farming. You know, you're talking about something like 77 billion animals so pause for a moment and reflect on that number 77 billion animals and growing um, uh, every year uh, that are farmed around the world the majority of those the overwhelming majority of those are in 
factory farms. You know, you're talking about well over one trillion animals that are impacted um, in terms of wildlife around the world as a result of human activity. Um, these are huge numbers. So um, if we really want to make a difference uh, to, to animals, we have to tackle those uh, systems in particular. Absolutely. And do you mind quickly elaborating on what systems they are? Yeah, sure. So in terms of um, uh, farming, we're really talking about the food system. Um, so you know, we're talking about um, right now how most of the, the world um, produces its food um, and it's produced uh, based on um, cost. So let's get food as cheap as possible. Um, let's uh, rely heavily on uh, meat production, uh, protein uh, through that route. Um, let's do it in a way that um, in effect is um, turning you know, animals um, into a, as I've talked about before, a sort of unit of production, you know, a commodity. And uh, in that sense, it's not providing good balanced nutrition for people. And therefore, we've got a, an obesity epidemic. We've got diabetes epidemic. We've got real problems uh, as a result of uh, uh, unbalanced uh, diet in many parts of the world, certainly in, in the richer parts of the world. Um, it means that we're having climate impacts because industrial farming uh, is one of the biggest producers of methane, which is an incredibly damaging uh, greenhouse gas. And it's something like 15% of all um, global greenhouse gas emissions comes from livestock production. So, you know, you've got a system there, the food system, which is focused on the wrong things, producing you know, cheap uh, meat um, uh, rather than a balanced, uh, healthy diet, healthy for people, healthy for the planet. I think it's actually worth pointing out because obviously we're talking about big systems here. There's a lot of big words and big numbers however this mm. directly affects animal welfare this affects each pig each cow you know each chicken because obviously what we're talking here about is about taking on big systems however this directly affects each animal yeah it does i mean do you mind if i just give an example um, that would be fantastic the, yeah so so just to take it down to that individual animal um level because you're right i mean when i talk about 77 billion i mean what does that mean to most of us let's let's talk about one pig <laughs> you know if you look at a, a pig you know in an industrial farm it's going to live for in a european system maybe six months um it's going to be reared fattened um and, and slaughtered if it was a pig actually here in northern italy that was being used for you know, hams and some of the sort of more, you know, uh, the more famous um, meats from Italy, it might live for nine months. A pig in an industrial system lives in a, uh, a pen, uh, often with a uh, metal or concrete floor. Uh, it may have difficulty in turning around. If it can turn around, then it's in a, still a very confined space. It has very limited ability to be curious or play or, or do anything really, uh, let alone get natural light. So obviously some systems are better than others, but most industrial systems provide very little for that animal's needs. If you were to look at that same pig, you know, a, a pig naturally 
a pig that was um, just allowed to be a pig. They lived for about 15 to 20 years uh, in the wild. Um, they are very smart. They'll match your dog easily. Um, they, they like to play. Um, if you go down to a, you know, any sort of uh, one of these sort of smaller farms with your kids, um, you may get the opportunity with piglets to play football or chase with, with them. They, 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 they're, they're smart. They're clever. Um, I remember once being chased by a, a group of pigs in a, around in a circle. The pigs realized very quickly that this wasn't working. They split into two groups and cornered me. So, you know, pigs are, pigs are great. As I was just going to put out there, pigs are one of my favorite animals. Just going to put out there because <laughs> they are completely underrated. They have a terrible reputation as being smelly and muddy and and stupid, which is completely the opposite of um, what pigs are actually like. Okay, so Steve, we've got a big issue. How do we fix this? First of all, we've got to get, as I said, we've got to get to the root causes. What's what's allowing this system to continue? Well, first up, it's uh, allowed to continue because it's funded um, and subsidised by governments and by banks and by uh, investment funds. So give you an example of that. Uh, global meat and dairy businesses that... Uh, actually over the last few years received almost $500 billion from investment firms and banks and pension funds. $500 billion, huge numbers again. And that's propping those businesses up. And it's also supporting more concrete, more steel, more animals being put into countries like uh, China, uh, where we're expanding meat production. So we have to get those banks, those pension funds, uh, those investors to switch that funding away from those farms into um, small-scale, regenerative, organic, or plant-based alternatives. And absolutely, each of us as individuals can influence that through our choices of pensions, through our banks, um, and through our our advocacy. I think that's the thing, is we're seeing now a change in people's attitudes towards animal welfare. Um, In supermarkets now, you can walk in and buy oat milk, buy meat alternatives. Do you feel like that attitude is changing? Is it changing quickly enough? It is changing. Um, Actually, we've seen in the UK, a recent report came out a few days ago, showed that there'd been a reduction in meat consumption in the UK um, of, I think it was something like 15 to 17% over the the last um, few years. So we've seen progress. The problem is, even, even from a climate point of view, the target needs to be more around the 30 to 35% um, to cut those you know, greenhouse gas emissions. From an animal welfare point of view, we need to do much more than that um, in order to um, cut animal suffering. But we are seeing a huge number of uh, plant-based alternatives being developed. We're seeing, um, if you like, clean meat, meat alternatives, lab-based meat being developed. Um, and we're seeing a shift to healthier, more balanced diets. Um, and yes, as individuals, we need to take those choices um, and persuade uh, supermarkets and others to um, to produce and buy and sell uh, better alternatives. Yeah. What do you see the future looking like? What would be the ideal future for, for animals and for humans alike? 
Um, I think over the coming years, we'll see a real shift. Um, um, I think we see younger generations now coming through who really care about um, what they eat. They care about the planet. They care about you know, supply chains, where stuff comes from, how it's created. They want transparency um, as well. So I think we're at the start of something you know, magnificent. We're, we're at the start of a fundamental shift um, that will lead to um, a huge fall in the numbers of industrial farms, that will see uh, growth in regener- regenerative small-scale farming, a radical change in the diets that people eat um, towards plant-based. Um, and um, I think when it comes to wildlife, we have no choice. Um, the world has to protect um, forests. It has to protect and clean up oceans. It has to uh, end the global wildlife trade, both legal and illegal. Because if we do not, then uh, not only will animals uh, continue to suffer, but actually we will tip uh, our planet into a, uh, a spiral um, that leads to uh, a great loss of biodiversity of species and, of course, human impacts as a result of that as well. Absolutely. So if you could uh, paint a picture for me of your ideal outlook for in 10 years' time after mm. the work um, produced by World Animal Protection and our fantastic supporters, what would that look like? What I, what I believe we'll see is an end to the illegal uh, and uh, legal trade in uh, wild animals and, and if you like the parts of wild animals that are also sold and shipped around the world. So by that, I mean, for instance, pangolins um, that are you know, caught in the wild and shipped um, to places uh, in Asia to be used in uh, traditional Chinese medicine. What I mean is, uh, for instance, dolphins uh, being uh, reared, captured or reared uh, uh, in um, uh, aquariums uh, to be used for um, shows to entertain the public. What I mean by that is elephants no longer being um, chained up uh, and broken as uh, young elephants by being beaten and starved so that they carry people on their backs uh, as part of a sort of tourist attraction. So I believe that we will see an end to um, the trade in entertainment, the trade in traditional uh, medicine, um, and more broadly, the trade in uh, wild animals. What a wonderful world that would be. And of course, exotic pets are part of of that. Uh, We no longer take them from the wild to entertain ourselves by putting them in our homes. On the farming side, um, I believe we'll see a real reversal. Uh, Right now, we're seeing more and more industrial farms being built, factory farms being built, concrete, steel, and and animals. We'll see China leading the way uh, to um, get rid of those farms, to put in smaller scale um, uh, organic farms or uh, farms which keep animals in free-range conditions as well as a huge surge in plant-based alternative meals. And I believe that we'll have lab-based or cultured meat, which is meat that's created, if you like, in the laboratory from animal cells originally, um, uh, and then replicated and replicated. Um, I believe we'll see a very different picture 
uh, over the next 10 to 20 years um, that uh, all of us will be proud um, to, uh, you know, to, to be a part of and, and to be a part of um, uh, bringing to life. That's a really good point, actually, because we have spoken a lot about farming, but not necessarily about animals as entertainment, um, which is obviously, again, another huge problem. Sure. I mean, uh, I mean wild animals, um, <laughs> we often think of when we watch television documentaries, uh, we think, wow, isn't it fantastic? Um, elephants, you know, jaguars, tigers. Um, and there's an awareness that, uh, those animals are under threat in their wild habitats. I think what you know people often um, miss is the fact that they're a part of the problem. When we go to a, um, a safari park uh, or a zoo, we may be part of the problem uh, that's taking animals out of the wild. Certainly when we go to SeaWorld or places like SeaWorld to watch um, killer whales and dolphins perform, we are part of the problem um, that's taking these uh, animals out of um, out of their natural habitats. When in Asia, in particular, uh, people buy and use um, traditional medicines that use the body parts uh, of animals like pangolins, you know, or tiger bone, we're part of you know the problem. Um, when people buy exotic pets like African grey parrots you know, we're part of the problem. So, you know, we need to take action. Um, we need to stop elephant riding uh, when we go on holiday to places like Thailand. We need to stop going to places like SeaWorld and other uh, places that do dolphin entertainment when we go to the US or wherever it may be on holiday. Uh, we need to stop um, buying uh, or allowing a trade in owls Um that means that you know our forests and our oceans and our skies will soon be empty of the things that we say that we care about. Sorry, um, Steve. There's a trade in owls. I've never heard that one before. There's a trade in um, African grey parrots. There's a trade in tigers, in lions, in all sorts of exotic types of bat and owl, and every every, every everything under the sun is pretty much traded. Um, so uh, yeah, if it if it if it's got fur or feather, you know, snakes, reptiles, yeah, it works. One thing I was going to mention actually was about uh, Thailand in particular. Often you'll find that people um, have sourced what they believe to be um, an ethical, for example, um, visitor experience for elephants, but that isn't always true. And actually, each week on this podcast, we will be asking our guest to describe uh, ways in which we can do a little thing to help in helping animals and the animal welfare. So in regards to that, I was wondering if there's any tips you could give for if you're traveling, how to um, ensure that you're going to an ethical visitor attraction and also talk a little bit more about any other tips you might have. Yes, yeah, a great question. Actually, when I was out in Thailand um, just before uh, COVID hit, um, one of the things we were doing was visiting some of the venues uh, where elephants are chained up um, and used for photography and for elephant uh, uh, washing and riding. Many of them describe themselves as sanctuaries or hospitals. Um, so it's a, it's a very good point. Um, I think you have to basically do your research. Um, there's no sort of central um, uh, 
data source um, that will tell you all the, all the right places. But if you connect with um, animal welfare charities such as our own uh, and others in the countries you're going to visit, um, you can find out information on um, what is a, a good or bad um, uh, experience um, to have with, it, with an animal like an elephant. But the simple rule, to be honest, is if you're allowed to touch it or ride it or wash it or have some sort of direct contact, it's not a good place and you shouldn't go there. Um, if you can stand and admire it and it may come and come and stand and admire you, <laughs> then um, then it's a good place to, to, to go. That's, that's one of the simplest rules. That's brilliant. So Steve, a lot of what we've been talking about is really overwhelming. I know myself listening to the big numbers and about what's happening to animals is a lot to take in. Therefore, I'd love to know, what can I do? What can our listeners do that together can make a difference? There are some really important things uh, that you could do. Number one, um, think about what you're buying. Um, when you purchase uh, products, when you purchase food, you know, think about where it's been produced. If it's um, uh, you know, a food product like um, you know, coming from pigs, cows, you know, the sort of meat industry, Make sure that it's higher welfare. Um, even better, cut down on the amount of meat that you consume. And even better, you know, go uh, vegetarian or, or vegan. Um, it makes a difference to animals and, and to, the, to the climate. Um, when it comes to going on holiday, um, choose the place that you go carefully. Um, uh, don't uh, go to um, zoos, uh, entertainment venues, uh, elef or elephant rides or, or other attractions like dolphinariums where animals are being abused because your money helps that to continue. So I, I think when it comes to how you invest your money, you really need to think about who you bank with, um, what sort of bank account um, you want to hold. Uh, is it a, a more ethical one or not? Um, and many banks now will provide ethical options Probably even more important um, is your pension fund. Um, pension funds are investing huge amounts into land clearance uh, in places like uh, Amazonia. They're funding industrial farms. So uh, go with an ethical pension fund. And most providers, uh, even the well-known ones, will offer an ethical uh, option or, or more than one ethical option. Or there are others like... Um, you know, specialist, uh, you know, uh, providers, uh, banks like Triodos Bank in the UK, for instance, that are specialist ethical funds. So do a bit of research and you can, you can easily put your money to good use. Now, you might say, does it make a difference? You know, I'm just one person. It's not a lot of money. Yes, it makes a huge difference um, because when we add our voices uh, together, uh, then we see things like, you know, the 15, 16, 17% reduction in meat consumption that's taken place in recent years. Um, then we start to see things like circuses with live animals shut down because people are no longer visiting them. Um, you know, then we see um, supermarkets um, selling more and more uh, vegetarian and vegan you know, plant-based options. That's all individuals taking uh, individual actions. Finally, I would say, you know, uh, lend your voice to ours more directly, become a supporter. Um, 
uh, sign our petitions, take action with us. And if you're in a very generous mood, then uh, we obviously welcome um, any donations and financial support to help us uh, with our work as well. Okay, Steve, um, it's been wonderful to have you. But before we round up, um, I've just got a couple of quick fire questions for you. Uh, First one is, which animals would you love to see in person that you haven't already? (laughs) I haven't already. Um, You know, I would love in the wild, I would love to see some of the big cats. I mean, who doesn't love a cat at home, let alone a big cat in its natural environment? So, yeah any of the big cats um other than lions i've seen lions in the wild wow how was that seeing lions comfortable in their own habitat it's just incredible um i mean you in in a sense you almost feel like you're the exhibit uh you know they they sort of they're just doing their thing and occasionally they'll they'll come over and, and sort of express some interest um but no, it's wonderful. You see them together, a pride of lions. You see the family. Um, uh, you get some sense of um, you know, the, the connection between them, how much they care for each other, um, and the, just the, the power of them. Um, uh, they're amazing uh, animals. So, yeah, I would love to, um, but I'd love to expand my you know, the range of animals that I've actually seen. Fantastic. And... Have you had any funny experiences with animals? I would love to know. Yeah, I'm not sure I've had too many sort of funny experiences. Uh, no, I have had a funny experience. But one or two. Okay. All right, here we go. Okay, uh, I'm when ready. I was, when I was much, much younger, actually the sanctuary manager said to me, hey, the, the, the pig out there, um, her name was Kinky. Um, Kinky, um, she really loves apples. So do you mind taking her an apple? I said, sure, fine. This is a very large pig, okay? This is one that's lived for quite a few years. So just be aware that she has a really mischievous sense of humour. Okay, that's fine. So I went and I put my hand out, holding the apple and the pig. Pigs have big snouts, yeah? She put her snout over the apple and she looked at me. And I, okay. Then she moved her snout over the lower part of my arm and then she looked at me. And then she took her snout a little bit further up my arm, at which point, I have to tell you, I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable. She looked at me again, then just withdrew back, took the apple and wandered off. And I then understood what he meant by a mischievous sense of humour. So they set you up. Kinky sounds like an incredible pig. (laughs) Yeah, she was. Uh, We had some great pigs. We also had a little bit of a dark sense of humour down at the sanctuary because they had a three-legged deer called Tripod. They had another pig called Rasher. Um... But these were the lucky ones, I promise you. Honestly, Steve, I could talk to you all day. You have so many fantastic stories. Steve, it's so clear that you love what you're doing and um, it's been really fantastic to have you on. I'd love to know why you love what you do so much. Um, I, when I was, uh, when I was, you have to go back to the time when I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, I think, and um, first became sensitised to issues around actually animals and people. Um, You know, I was first really moved by seeing the droughts uh, that were taking place uh, in places like Ethiopia back then. Um, But I also um, uh, read a book about Tarka the Otter, (laughs) uh, which was where I learned about um, otter hunting, uh, weird 
people going and hunting otters down rivers. Um, and um, I, uh, I thought, this isn't right. Um, and I think since then I've been on a journey really to learn more about animals um, and what we can do to, to help them. But I do see um, helping animals, helping people, helping the environment all as interrelated issues. I think each of us should support each other and um, work with each other to bring about change. And I'm lucky enough to to do what I absolutely passionately believe in to make uh, this world a better place. That's brilliant. Honestly, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us on Animals Are Calling. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it very much too. So thank you uh, for your time and thanks for the opportunity. So that's it for our very first episode. Many thanks to our CEO, Steve McIver, for setting up this series. My guest next week will be Global Director of Animals and Farming, Mark Deer. We'll be discussing how we can all ensure that there is no future for factory farming. We'd love for you to get in touch with us with any questions or comments on our social channels. Just search for Wild Animal Protection on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Animals Are Calling is a podcast from World Animal Protection. The podcast is produced and mixed by Johnny Bunyan for Pardon Our French. The executive producer is Emmy Kondo. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>